guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And we are Kriogs over, over coffee. coffee. Alright, so today we're going to spend some time talking about nausea and vomiting in early pregnancy. So get your coffee ready, hopefully you're not feeling nauseous yourself, and let's talk about kind of some learning objectives for today. So number one, we're going to define and assess nausea and vomiting or learn some ways to do that and talk about hyperemesis gravidarum as well. We're going to describe the effects of early pregnancy nausea and vomiting on mom and baby. And then we're going to review the treatment of nausea and vomiting of early pregnancy. So Faye, nausea vomiting. I think we see so many people in our emergency room every day. And this makes sense. Nausea affects about 50 to 80% of pregnant women and vomiting up to 50% of pregnant women. So I feel like this is something that we're always encountering in our emergency room and we're always going through the algorithm of like how to treat these women. Yeah. What I didn't know was that there was an assessment tool to score people on how bad their nausea and vomiting is, and it's actually called the puke scale. Wow. <laughs> Which stands for Pregnancy Unique Quantification of Emesis and Nausea. So – the, it's not a K, it's a Q, but I kind of just wanted to share that with everybody, that there is indeed a puke scale. Yeah, that's like goals with respect to your acronyms. The reason I bring this up is because scores from the puke scale are associated with quality of life measurements, and it may provide some guidance on when and how aggressively to treat your patient. One thing that I learned, Faye, in researching this episode is actually kind of moving down the scale a bit about hyperemesis gravidarum. Um, no, one thing I learned is that it's a diagnosis of exclusion. So, you know, you kind of have to rule out other causes of nausea and vomiting. You, know, you want to rule out things like infections, like pyelonephritis or kidney stones or mm -hmm. pseudotumor cerebri is another weird one that popped up in the practice bulletin. But then the other thing that I learned was that there's not a single accepted definition of hyperemesis gravidarum. I felt like I always learned that the most common things, you know, nausea, vomiting, large ketonuria that's persistent and 5% weight loss versus pre-pregnancy weight. But apparently yeah. that's not the standard definition. Nevertheless, the ACOG says that the incidence of hyperemesis is around 0.3 to 3% of pregnancies and is the most common indication for hospitalization in the first trimester. Um, it's actually the second most common reason for non-delivery hospitalizations in pregnancy behind preterm labor. Next, we should talk about why women get nauseous and why they vomit when they're early pregnant. Mm, yeah. Um, this is something that deserves a lot more research and is still a mystery, but there's multiple potential pathways. So when you get pregnant, there are multiple hormones that increase. One of them is beta-HCG, and there was a close temporal relationship between peak values of beta-HCG and peak nausea symptoms in trials. The second part is estrogen. It has been shown that nausea and vomiting increases with increasing estradiol levels, and we know that in women who take uh, OCPs, the higher their estrogen levels are, it's been shown to increase nausea in a dose-dependent fashion. And we also know that uh, with rising progesterone levels, you have relaxation of your smooth muscles. 
So relaxation of lower esophageal sphincter, decreased motility through your GI tract, and that can also lead to nausea and vomiting. Some alternative pathways that have been proposed on why women get nauseous include like an evolutionary pathway, suggesting that like as women were trying to ingest potentially dangerous foods, they'd vomit them back up. But one thing that ACOG does bring up in the practice bulletin is to say that, you know, if you apply that theory kind of broadly and say like, oh, this is a natural response, don't eat poison, like you're probably going to end up under treating a lot of women. And I wouldn't want to be under treated for nausea and vomiting. I think this sounds miserable. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And then the last potential risk factor, which is an interesting one, but hasn't really ever been demonstrated in a study is like a psychologic reason. Um, you know, whether women are like predisposed because of societal expectations or because of certain personality types. Again, it's a thought, but it's never been shown in a study. And again, I think whatever reason for you getting nauseous or having vomiting at the beginning of your pregnancy, you really should be treated for it. And then things to also think about in someone who does have hyperemesis gravidarum is to look for other reasons. So do they, do they for some reason have an increased amount of beta HCG? So is this a twin pregnancy or is this a molar pregnancy? And then also other risk factors will be like, of course, a history of hyperemesis gravidarum or motion sickness, history of migraines, family history. One that was came up in the practice plan I thought was interesting and sort of goes along with this estrogen theory is that apparently... If you're carrying a female fetus, your nausea and vomiting may be worse. What about the maternal and fetal effects of nausea and vomiting, Nick? Like, why do we why do we care outside of the woman feeling terrible at the beginning of her pregnancy? What are some consequences that could happen to mom or baby? Yeah, obviously, besides just feeling cruddy all the time, you know, you'd rather keep pregnant women out of the hospital in the first trimester if you can. Um, so that kind of morbidity between the hospitalization or psychosocial things. Um, are certainly primary on our mind. Um, there are some rarer things, though, with especially with really bad nausea and vomiting. You know, you think about Wernicke's encephalopathy, right? Like back in medical school, you probably remember this being associated more with alcoholics, where their thiamine or vitamin B1 depleted, and then they end up with this Wernicke's encephalopathy when you try to infuse them back with sugar to give them nutrition. This can happen to pregnant women too. You know, if they're not ingesting enough of the vitamin B1, then you know, they can also end up with Wernicke's encephalopathy. Yeah. Other stuff like Mallory Weiss tears or esophageal rupture from repeated retching can also be consequences. With respect to fetal effects, you know, there's really, I'd say the literature is mixed on that. You know, there's some studies that demonstrate maybe like worse nausea vomiting can be associated with low birth weight. But really, there's not a lot of other studies that suggest there are worse effects because of that. But if mom has suboptimal nutrition, then certainly there can be problems with fetus. Right. So let's move on to treatment. Like I said before, Nick, you and I probably encounter this a lot in our emergency room, and we advise a lot of patients regarding what to do for their nausea and vomiting. Absolutely. The first one that I always tell patients is to modify the way that they eat and what they eat. A lot of women will tell me, you know, they have nausea, they're nauseous, they're nauseous, they're vomiting, and then they get to the middle of the day, they haven't eaten anything, they're so hungry, and they'll go and buy a bucket of like KFC fried chicken, or they'll have like a huge (laughs) McDonald's hamburger or something. And then of course, afterwards, they get nauseous again, and they vomit. So the big thing to tell these people is small, frequent meals, bland foods, you know, following that brat diet is really important for these women, and also things that are not as spicy or as acidic. 
and then avoiding triggering stimuli. And that can be different for a, for every single woman. So just avoiding things that they know will make them feel nauseous. Mm. And other things could be things that they can get over the counter, things like getting some ginger. And there have been randomized controlled trials that does demonstrate a benefit um, for nausea with ginger. Moving beyond sort of these lifestyle modifications or things that you can do on your own, you know, one thing pregnant women are often reluctant to do, but oftentimes can give them a lot of benefit or having some sort of medication on board to help with nausea and vomiting. The first line thing that we should be using is a combination of vitamin B6 or pyridoxine with um, doxylamine. ACOG mentions this, that this is safe, it's efficacious, and it should be your first line. There's really not a lot of side effects other than potentially some sedation associated with the antihistamine effects of doxylamine. Since the recommended dosing is variable in the studies, but 10 to 25 milligrams three to four times a day of B6, and then 10 to 12 and a half milligrams three to four times a day of doxylamine. Um, there are combination and extended release formulations that are available that those can be a little bit more expensive. Faye, what would you jump to next? Um, usually I will continue with oral medications. Usually I'll go to the dopamine antagonists, so things like Reglan or Phenergan. And these are things that I tell patients with the Reglan especially, they can take up to four times a day. Sometimes um, you can take it, you know, 30 minutes before meals to use it as a promotility agent. Mm. Potential side effects would be things like dry mouth, dizziness, dystonia with prolonged use and drowsiness. And you should be careful if you're prescribing it to someone who's taking any kind of atypical antipsychotics. Yeah. And I think kind of jumping from there, you know, the other one that I might jump to at this point would be um, antihistamines. So things mm -hmm. like um, diphenhydramine or Benadryl or dimenhydrinate, which is uh, Dramamine. Similar types of side effects, you know, dry mouth, constipation, sedation. A little less worry with this group about the dystonia. And then third line here for me is if nothing else is working, I'll go for the serotonin antagonist. So the ondansetron, the granisetron, really, be, you know, those side effects can be, again, things like drowsiness, constipation. There is um, a potential worry for QT prolongation. So it really, you know, if you have a patient that has a history of cardiac conduction abnormalities, you should be avoiding this medication. And the, the other reason I use it as third line is because there is some question of fetal safety. So there have been studies that have been plus minus about question of a link with cleft lift and cleft palate and cardiac defects. So there is some consideration of maybe avoiding this medication before 10 weeks gestation. But if you have someone who's coming in, they're nauseous, they're vomiting, nothing else is working, I think, you know, Zofran is still something that you should consider for that person. Yeah, I feel like we use it pretty commonly, too. We do. Unlike probably the last, last line thing, I would say that I don't, I don't think I've ever used it. But one that's listed as an option would be using steroids. Um, so methylprednisolone or prednisone. No, the steroids may reduce rehospitalization in patients with hyperemesis gravidarum. So again, you're using this as like something to keep people out of the hospital with nausea yeah. and vomiting. But the again, you should use these with care um, and use these again as your last line because there are some studies that have demonstrated a modest association with cleft lift and palate, especially if you use them before 10 weeks. Now, Faye, I think this is a lot of information and Fortunately, when we were coming up with this, the practice bulletin ended up being an excellent resource. There's a lot of good information there, practice bulletin number 189. On our website, we'll have sort of the 
ACOG recommended treatment algorithm, as well as some other resources that are important things to remember, like those QT prolonging drugs that you should avoid with Zofran. All right, so I think that pretty much brings us to the end of our podcast on nausea and vomiting of early pregnancy. Just to go back over what we talked about, we said that nausea and vomiting is very, very common in early pregnancy and that there is something called the puke scale that you could potentially use to assess quality of life measurements and how and when to treat their nausea vomiting. Hyperemesis gravidarum doesn't have a accepted single definition, but probably the most common includes a weight loss generally around 5% of pre-pregnancy weight. And hyperemesis affects somewhere between half a percent and 3% of pregnancies. There are many reasons why women get nauseous. And right now, we still don't know exactly that reason, but there are multiple potential pathways. And in terms of complications for nausea and vomiting overall, really, we focus a lot on mom, the medical and psychosocial morbidity of prolonged nausea vomiting. And in terms of treatment, first line is always non-pharmacologic, so things like lifestyle moth modifications, um, things that you can get over the counter like ginger. And lastly, we have our pharmacologic therapies, which roughly going in order, you want to start with B6 doxylamine, move to your dopamine antagonists, the um, metoclopramide, reglan, promethazine, phenergan type. Then from there, antihistamines, serotonin antagonists like Zofran, and finally steroids is your last line. All right, Nick. So I think that's the end of this episode. Once again, I'm Faye. And I'm Nick. And this has been Kriog's Over Coffee. Remember, puke, acronym goals. <laughs> if you like what you heard on this podcast, or if you have any suggestions or any things that you'd like to change, please email us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. Be sure to rate us online wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Store, Google Play, wherever that is. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter, at creogsovercoff, C-O-F-F-1, um, on Facebook, at creogsovercoffee, uh, or on our website at www.creogsovercoffee.com. Be sure to check out the website for all those extra resources and all those extra fun things. Mm-hmm.